0: Welcome to another edition of the Dogger Pass podcast, this for UFC Vegas 9, I'm Paul Shaughnessy, joined in studio by the one and only Cody Saftik, coming off of what, a seven? Only a seven, like Parlay Cash last week. Yeah,
1: well, one second left. Eat your rico, eat the old Zach Cummins, kick to the face, and that yeah. costs the plus twenty two hundred. But l- listen, this is gambling. We know it happens. Good bounces, bad bounces. Ricardo Lamas was looking shaky in that second round, prevailed. But uh, yeah, you, sometimes you have to expect the unexpected. We survived last week, and let's uh, let's make it a streak. Let's make it a thing.
0: Let's make it a thing. I kind of like this card. But before we get to any of that, Pat's got some announcements. We let Pat do the announcements around here. He's a lot better at it. Housekeeping. Pat's housekeeping.
2: Pat. Yeah, so this is the first of two more weeks that the Dogger Pass podcast is going to be on the Pat Mayo Experience audio feed. It will then transition. It will begin this week too. The transitioning has already begun, not only for the feed, but probably for Cody as well. You can see that hair. But at the same time, um, you can now subscribe to the Dogger Pass podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and Google. As of right now, this episode will be up there. So what you need to do is hit the description of this video or podcast uh, you can find the new feed go sub to that and then you go leave a five star review uh, you go leave a rating uh, everything like that to help boost up the show right out of the gate that'll do tremendous numbers for the audio podcast and the video version will continue to be on mayo media network if people have problems finding this you just let them know very nicely so they continue to listen to the show but you can tell them they're a fucking moron too at the same time because we've been saying this for like a month but the switch is going to go two more weeks they will appear on both feeds for two weeks and then boom it is off my feed on the pat mayo experience and on its exclusive dog or pass podcast feed for the audio again the video will remain up on the mayo media network five stars smash like to the episode comment your comments that stuff always goes a long way into helping the algorithm to the show so more people can actually find it i think i've done it oh also listen to the trailer that's up uh for the dogger pass podcast right now because it is fucking hysterical one of the main reasons that i'm doing this and paul's not doing this you'll discover in the trailer to the dogger pass podcast (laughs) spoiler
0: alert i I can't read.
2: read um yeah do
0: what pat just said um, and on top of that, oh, there's another like Dogger Pass feed out there that used to belong to us. I just can't remember the password. I'm gonna I'm gonna figure out how to delete but it. Well, why
1: would it be under Dogger Pass? Shouldn't it be under Bookie Beatdown?
2: Yeah, it w- it, w- it is. The artwork is for Bookie Beatdown, but I think you guys changed the name to Dogger Pass at like the last thing you ever did for it. Mm. So it still has the Bookie Beatdown graphic, but it's called Dogger Pass. So there are two Sandwich. podcasts named the Dogger Pass podcast. Ooh. You want the one password with the dog Calgary, on man. it that has password new episodes Calgary. and has green lettering.
0: Yeah, the one that has had an, up, an episode upload in the last three years <laughs> would be eye. the one that you should he's, be going towards. Or,
2: or just hit the description, click the link, and it'll bring you right to it.
0: I'm going to try to find the old password to that, delete it. Yeah. There Why you don't go. we get into the action? Here. Yeah, sounds good. We got Alistair him taking on Augusto Sakai. Over him, 175, Sakai Plus 140, take it away, Cody.
1: Yeah, obviously the dog side is the value side, just being that this screams two middling heavyweights that are probably going to get tired at some point in there. Might take their time. Might slow it down a little bit. And it's, it, you, on one hand, you think, geez, two heavyweights. Alistair Overeem, former K1 champion. Dynamite striker. Huge power. On the other hand, you got Augusto Sakai. 255-pound Brazilian. Likes to swing them hammers. Guy's pretty durable. Maybe this fight's going to be that, that fun slugfest that you, you'd want it to be. But styles kind of predicate how this one's going to go. And like, Augusto Sakai's not looking for a barn burner of a fight. He's not looking to throw a whole lot of punches. Does he have that kind of power to turn off Overeem, Overeem's lights? Yeah, I would say so. I mean, at this point, Overeem's been knocked out by many of
0: men. Almost like 20 times in his career.
1: Yeah, and you know what? I mean, yeah, former 205-er was getting knocked out by guys like Chuck Liddell. Huge power puncher, obviously. But yeah, he, he's just a whole career of knockout losses. And now you're fighting a guy who, again, gigantic heavyweight who packs some punches. Is he a huge power puncher? No, no. Gus, this guy's not a huge power puncher. But does he have enough power to land that shot? On over him, yeah, absolutely. Now, Walt Harris, he's got that power. He hurts him, and he gets gassed out after the first round. Sakai doesn't really exert himself that much. That's why you see his fights. They are just slow, intrepid pace. Now, <clears throat> he beats Chase Sherman in his UFC debut. This one's notable because he throws over 100 strikes. His cardio checks out in that fight. But going back to what I was saying about he's not a pure, clean power puncher himself, he's not a Rosenstruck kind of guy, is that it takes him three rounds to take out Chase Sherman. It does take him out. Hits him over 100 times. And then to take him out. It's the fight against Andre Arlovski right after that. He loses or sorry, he wins the split decision. But you look at any of the media outlets: Sure Dog, Bloody Elbow, MMA Junkie, MMA Mania. Everybody scores a fight for Andre Arlovski. Andre outstrikes him every single round in that fight. Now, this is Andre Arlovski, keep in mind. A mid-pack guy. Where's Sakai's improvements? He's still young. He's a mobile heavyweight. Where's he's, he's at ATT? So everyone writes the excuse, you know what? He's friends with Andrzej Olavski. That's why he didn't want to hit him. They trained at ADT together, they're buddies. He doesn't want to swing on him. Okay, fair enough. But then you just look at the body of work since then. The Marcin Tarbora fight, he gets him out quick. But the Ivanov fight, just another slow pace. So Overeem's a cleaner striker. Overeem's a better striker. Overeem throws out a higher clip than him. I can see Overeem winning these striking exchanges. The problem with Overeem is that he needs to knock out Sakai, get him out of there. And there is one advantage Sakai has. He's durable. As we've talked about, Overeem being knocked out so many times in his career, plus the kickboxing knockout losses as well. Uh, Augusto Sakai's never been finished, and he's been in there with some heavy hitters, and he has been hit, and he can kind of take it. So as much as I'm thinking Overeem is the better technical striker, he's 40 years old, taking on a 29-year-old in Sakai, getting That's better. it's
0: heavyweight.
1: It's heavyweight. Anything can happen. No, but a
0: heavyweight's 40 years old isn't that...
1: Damning. Yeah, and 29 is a baby. This guy is amongst the youngest guys in the mm-hmm. division. So as much as I can shit on him looking awful against Chikongo once upon a time in Bellator, it's like, eh, eh, he was really young. And as much as I can shit on him losing to Andrei Olofsky, it's like, man, this is a guy he probably grew up watching and now trains with and now is kind of friends with and doesn't want to unload on the guy. And beating Ivanov, well, he didn't knock out Ivanov. Nobody! A knife to the heart did not kill one Blagoj Ivanov. So. True. Yeah, you can write excuses for Sakai. He's definitely a live dog. I think Overeem is not a safe play. I'm looking at the line listed here on the DK um, Sportsbook line lineup, 175. It just seems like, oh, man, two heavyweights that anything can happen when they get in there. And, and again, Overeem has just come off two fights ago with Rosenstruck. He wins the first round. He wins the second round. He wins the third round. But he just starts getting more desperate and more desperate and starts throwing less and starts trying to avoid contact and eventually gets hit. With Sakai, it's kind of got the same thing. I can see him winning the first few rounds, but not finishing Augustus Sakai. If he doesn't finish Sakai, Sakai becomes a definite live dog the longer this fight goes. So I was looking at the over one and a half was listed at 185. Not a great line, but also I, I think it's going over one and a half. Mm-hmm. Fight to start round two wasn't even a much better price, but I'm looking at at least this fight to get a couple rounds in. I don't think it's that first like round that. finish that a lot of people are talking about. Over is the kind of guy that if he, he's savvy enough that if he is going to get clipped, he's going to get clipped late. And he's not the kind of guy to fight like a gunfight anymore. You see him recently. And he uh, picks, not, his, he picks, his, his, picks
0: his spots. He knows he's well aware of, of what he is not able to do, which is take murderous power punches to the to the dome. Yeah,
1: he doesn't mind slowing the fight down with his grappling a little bit now, too, but he's not taking Sakai down. So take that off the table. It's like, it's going to be you know, him. You can take him down. Uh, I I, don't—I think he could take him down, but Overeem's takedowns are just—they're like soccer—like football—a football football tackle, sorry. He just football tackles you to the ground, holds you down for the one round. Against Rosenstruck, he wins the first round with his takedown. In the second, third round, fourth—anything after that, he barely even bothers going to takedowns because he just knows he doesn't have the cardio. He's 40 years old. He's got to pace himself accordingly. So if he picks his spots, and Sakai— doesn't throw a whole lot to begin with. You got two guys that are just going to be staring at each other for long periods of time. That's why I think the over is going to hit on this fight. That's why I think we're going to get a couple rounds in this fight. But, you know, gun to my head, straight pick. Got to give you a pick, especially on the PRP at the end. I feel like Alistair Overeem is the cleaner, more technical guy. Maybe he's giving up the seat. He He's faster, but he's also 11 years older. So, like, maybe I'm wrong about that. Maybe Sakai is a little bit quicker and catches him. I just think that 175 is a bad price tag. The pass is probably the smarter move, but get some overs on this as i think is i think the profitable move
0: while while draftkings sportsbook should be the number one place that you go and look for your lines there are price uh prices are different prices out there if you do a little bit of shopping so i mean i may or may i already jumped in on overim at minus 140 the other day i kind of thought that the line it opened up, yeah no it, it's it coming. opened up at like minus like 200 and then it got steamed down like Augustus Sakai is not exactly a murderous power puncher. That's my main concern. Anytime we like, Overin's been fighting for years. We've talked about pff, probably 20 of his fights on this very program. And my only concern every single time he fights somebody is does this person, can this person turn the lights out? Now it's heavyweight. Anything can happen. It's his, it's his shell cons- up defense, man. He sits there and he thinks he thinks he's
1: Anderson Silva in his prime and he just sits right back flat against the cage and just tries to shell, 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 and takes a shit kicking almost every time. Most of the time he topples over. Most of the time it's like the Bigfoot Silva fight once upon a time, you know, and just eventually one sneaks through and knocks him out. Walt well, Harris is this close to putting this guy away. Mm. But Walt Harris can't fight for more than three minutes. That, that's the difference. Fair. Now, I think Sakai is not Walt Harris. He's not going to come that aggressive. He's not going to go for it. He doesn't have that same power. He doesn't have that same speed or athleticism. But it's 25 minutes. Over him, three-round fight. Ooh, sign me up. And over him by decision, three-round fight. Be a nice plus-money price tag. five rounds. He can go five rounds, but the more tired he gets— Sakai went five rounds— no, no, it's that it's gonna be a slow. I think it's now, I think gonna, you're ov- over 1.5, seems like the smartest play, here. but uh, yeah, I, I that that's that's what I was I agree with what that. I ended up I with. I agree. with
0: that. I have some overing, but I'll probably add that over at least to some pieces as we go along in this episode. Let's uh move on to the next one. This was supposed to happen two weeks ago, and you picked Alonzo Menafield to be OSP. You were talking about Alonzo Menafield. Learning experience, you know, yeah, being able to dig deep, having to go three rounds when you were failing against Devin Clark has anything changed uh, since OSP got pulled off for COVID? False positive. He's back in the mix. No DraftKings pricing for him this week, but minus 135 or minus 134 Menafield plus 108 St. Pru. Any, anything's changed?
1: You know what? This is going to be another sloppy fight, I think. I think both guys match up pretty similar in that they're both physical, but they just lack the gas tank. And we talked about it last time, obviously, with, with OSP. Like he's become more of a one round fighter. And the later these fighters go, he just doesn't quite seem to have it. Now, now you can blame that all on the weight cut. This guy's a massive 205er. And he goes to heavyweight. Comes in pr- as a pretty s- thick heavyweight against Ben Rothwell. Loses. And then it was a quick turnaround him dropping down to 205. I thought that that'd be the key. Lonzo Menifield had never been past the first round. I've uh, been 25 seconds in the second, I think. This guy's just not been extended. So at least him going with Devin Clark at least showed he wasn't getting finished. He was trying to fight through. His body just wasn't responding. Now that he's got that experience, to be a little bit better off. I think, th- I think the smart move is the pass here. But I am going to stick with Menifield. And I think the fight getting rebooked would slightly play out towards the Alonzo Menfield. Yeah, his cardio didn't get any better in the 11 days or 17 days that it got shipped for the rebook. Mm-hmm. But think about if you're OSP. Think about if you're OSP and you walk around at 235, 240, which seems to be his walk-around weight. Now you're going to drop down at 205. You just fought a heavyweight. It's a quick turnaround. It was going to be hard on your body to make 205 anyways. So you start the cut, and you start the process, and now you're getting close, and now it's a false positive. Bosch weight cut. Okay, okay, drink your fluids, get back ready. In two weeks do the same thing all over again. And I just think that weight cut is what's going to lead to him getting tired after round 1. Now Menafield, I can almost assure you that Menafield is also going to be tired after round 1. But I think that the mileage favors him, the experience favors OSP, and I feel or the mileage like, you know, he's 32 years old but he just hasn't really been smoked around in there whereas OSP's had some some up and down performances against the top level guys. Mm. Maybe experience bites me in the ass. Maybe OSP's got too much. Maybe OSP gets a tired Menafield to the ground and hits him with the with the Von Preu choke. But I'm I'm kind of leaning towards Menafield, pacing himself a little bit better, controlling the action against the cage, landing the slightly better strikes and winning either a dicey decision or maybe he does catch OSP. But I'm thinking I'm thinking this fight is not the barn burn again. Same thing as the main event. It seems like good matchmaking on the style. It's like, oh, dude, both these guys like to finish, both these guys are in entertaining fights. But the way they match up towards with each other, if they don't finish each other in the first round, stalemate.
0: things are gonna get sloppy. It's, it's more
1: of a stalemate, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas other guys, it's like, oh, either OSP finishes in the first round or this guy styles on him two and three, or him versus uh, the prince. It's like it's a 10-8 first round, but then he hits him with the Von Prune the second. Like it's those fun one or two-round fights. Menafield showed with Devin Clark, not that not that he was taking a whole lot of punishment, but it's just like he'll fight through, he'll fight through. Honestly, again, the smart move is a pass. This is a 10-fight card, so you feel like you want some action. I love a lot of these spots a lot better than this co-main event. It getting rebooked just adds another element of question mark on it. Mm-hmm. But again, the the play would be Alonzo field, and I'm looking to take an over in it.
0: Carl Rosa takes on Sajara Eubanks, minus 134. Rosa, Eubanks can be had 4+. plus. 110, who you like here.
1: Yeah, so with Sahara Eubanks, when you break down pretty much any of her fights, it's like she has a lot of advantages in all these spots. But then what you see physically in the octagon it's like
0: she can do it for one round
1: yeah she can do it for one round and and at that does she even look overwhelmingly good in that first round this is another fighter that deals with cardio issues and deals with weight cut issues and is dealing with i know you're gonna say all ageist but age issues she's 35 years old so i don't know i don't it's not old it's not even old it's not even old. i'm 35 cody yeah but right the point is the point is if i told you actually
0: you can mean I mean probably I'm, make, I mean I'm way past my athletic prime I know what you're saying fair I just fair, I always fair. just I just pretended it's a gimmick
1: fair fair but let's gimmick. let's just say it's like if I told you oh can you improve on run no. a mile run a mile and then do it every day for a few months can you run a better mile absolutely probably, yeah. there's something to be improved on that mm-hmm. but let's say you were a, a track star back in college wasn't you're never <laughs> going to attain back to that level <laughs> it wasn't you don't say no Shorma was a famous Right, right. I Funny story we can't talk about right now, it. but I accidentally gave Paul uh, Shaughnessy a concussion playing a game of flag
0: football. You did.
1: It was two-hand touch. I've, uh, this, this dome
2: has been yeah. knocked around a whole bunch of <laughs> yeah, years, yeah, so let yeah, me tell yeah,
1: you. Yeah. Uh, okay, so anyways, I'm just saying at 35, I don't think that she's going to make improvements. The large issue is the cardio. <clears throat> Her grappling is top-notch. Jiu-Jitsu Black Belt, Team Lloyd Irvin is top-notch. Her wrestling, not bad. The problem is is that she uses a lot of muscle in those takedowns, and she just can't do it for 15 Mm -hmm. minutes. The striking, it's herky-jerky, man. Like, it's very stiff, it's very rigid. Power... Because she's a power fighter, but that's it. Her best advantages were at 125. 125, she was just so she
0: big and just strong. She couldn't make the weight.
1: At 100, couldn't make the weight. So now 135 pounds, it's like giving up her main advantage. It's like, okay, you need to just go right to the jiu-jitsu. Get these girls down, use the jiu-jitsu. But without a submission victory, you need to do it for 15 minutes. And she just can. So looking at the record, Aspen Ladd, that's actually her best performance of date. It was at least she nailed some big old right hands on Aspen Ladd, who just sat there in the pocket, hands down, chin up. Bad performance for Ladd, but good performance for Eubanks. But she loses the fight. It's the Betch Gehea fight right after that, where it's like, she's just here's a tailor-made opponent for you. You can take her to the ground, relatively easy. You can you have better grappling. As far as the striking goes,
0: she's very well. The only as well. advantage Betch has is cardio.
1: Yeah, she just doesn't stop. She just kind of keeps coming at you. And so Eubanks has a good first round, but then all of a sudden it's like, oh, every judge, all three judges score Eubanks first round. Now all of a sudden, Uh Uh-oh, she's getting tired. And Betch is not doing a whole lot, but she just works herself back into the fight. The Sarah Maross fight, another tailor-made fight for her in that Maross can't strike. Maross can't wrestle, really. She's a wily grappler. And come on, Eubanks is at the very least not going to get a grapple. And she wins. She wins convincingly enough, but just didn't look great. So now you have her taking on what I would would perceive as a more bona fide 135-pounder. Carol Rosa. In terms of size? In terms of size, she's only five five foot six. Five foot six, and doesn't appear to be physically. The reach looks
0: pretty similar between the two of them.
1: Reach and height same, right? Mm. So when you look at Eubanks' career, Eubanks has those good fights at one twenty five. Can't quite make one twenty five. Fights at one thirty five doesn't seem to be a fit at one thirty five. Kale Rose is twelve and three. Two of those three losses were at 145 pounds, right? Her last two losses, in fact, because the first one was 2017, the last two ones against Larissa Pacheco and Melissa Gatto are at 145. She's competed at 141, 145, and 135. She has a 12-1 record at 135 pounds. That's where she seems to be way better. So now you look at her UFC numbers, and this girl, through her two UFC appearances so far, has just shown a lot to like. We'll talk about DK later, but UFC debut against Laura Pacheco, 171 significant strikes landed. She also defended five takedowns. Now, but, I mean, come on. Procopio, sorry. I, I said Pacheco, but Lord Procopio is not the wrestler that Eubanks is. So stuffing the five takedowns, not the biggest deal. The Vanessa Mello fight, 120 significant strikes versus 45. Scores two takedowns of her own and stuffs two of Vanessa Mello's takedowns. So now she's stuffed all seven takedown attempts on her in the UFC. She's thrown 171 and 120. Landed. I shouldn't say thrown. She's thrown so much lands that much it's like she doesn't get tired Mm -hmm. she's fought at the higher weight class she's shown some decent wrestling she just seems a little too physical so Eubanks could do what Eubanks does and have a good first round Mm -hmm. but the pace that'll be set
0: she won't be able to she won't be able to keep it.
1: and if she's 27 28 i say you know what she knows cardio's is her issue maybe she surprises us and comes in and that's just what she's been working on the last six months but like no i don't think otherwise, that's something she could address otherwise you re- would have you're right?
0: relying on a first round when women's bantamweight finish R- right
1: now now that now that's the last point it's like rosa seems like the play 135 or sitting at 134 8500
0: on dk it, it seems but, but average is 114 points per fight would it shock you if
1: someone like Eubanks snacked up an arm bar? No. Would it surprise you in a fight like this if that arm bar was to happen in guard? No. No. If Eubanks wins the first round, or if she's going to win, it's in the first round that's when these arm bars room guard tend to happen. Like, like yeah, and you don't go all the way in on Rosa, but she looks like a nice DK play. At 134, she seems like a nice straight up play. And even though she put an absolutely massive beating on Procopia and Vanessa Mello, didn't finish either one of them. And Eubanks was that she can take the beating and not get finished. So if you want to chase and maybe try to get some plus money or close two plus money, maybe chase that Rosa by decision and think maybe she loses the first round, wins two and three, picks up the decision, and uh, you get her by decision.
0: We to move on down the car. We got Michelle Pereira taking on Zalim Imadaev. Minus one eighteen Pereira, minus one oh three Imadaev. I mean Don Cherry back in the day used to say this is tea time, guys. This is tea time. For all of you people who take MMA a little too seriously and don't understand Michelle Pereira, he's an entertainer. He's out there throwing spinning cartwheel kicks and all of that stuff. He went away from that in the Sanchez fight. It was horrible. In terms of like the entertainment value, we uh, want this yeah, guy. Yeah, but
1: he looked good, man. Yeah, I know, but we, it wasn't the entertainment value. But like, that's what I, if he does that, he wins. If he does backflips and shit, who knows? But
0: I mean, watching me. I'madiev is hilarious because he kind he's got the look, and you're like that guy looks like some sort of savage wrestler. He's got the I mean, name. Danny Danny Roberts took him down t- uh three times. I was just watching the fight just before he came in. Yeah, took him down three times. His wrestling wasn't great. He was able to pull a couple switches, I guess. I mean, that's his path to victory here. Take Pereira down, uh, grind him out. Obviously, Pereira, especially when he's fighting at that high motor and throwing spinning helicopter cartwheel kicks or whatever the hell you want to call the uh, theatrics that he does. Obviously, that takes a lot of uh, gas out of him. I mean, it's always going to be risky betting on Michel Pereira at all times. I'm just looking for a show. I'm not betting Michelle Pereira at this moment. My heart is with Michelle Pereira. I hope he wins by spell uh spinning spinning wheel kick or whatever. But m- nothing from Emediav leads me to believe that this is like too tall a task for for Pereira who I guess he could go back if you want to, you know, If you're not looking for just strict entertainment value, I guess you could go back to fighting like Sanchez and that's how he's going to win this fight too.
1: Well, he is so untrustworthy and not because of the backflips and the just ludicrous crap he does and the questionable weight cutting and the questionable fight IQ. But then he got himself disqualified with an illegal knee against Diego Sanchez, yeah. just to sting you just a little bit more. It's like, oh no!
0: When he was up to like he's two, easy he's up to up, two, like two ten
1: eights, 10 ten eights. He's absolutely thrashing Diego, who's getting no advice from his corner. Uh, it was just an absolute ridiculous shit show. And the one thing that Diego did was the second that knee hit him, he was just like, "Ooh, I've seen this before. I'm a savvy veteran." And that was a savvy veteran move. So I can't hate on Diego
0: I mean when, he's getting thrashed. When you he tie can take in, win,
1: you can get a free win. You can get your win money. You take
0: it. When you tie it's in, me. When you tie in the payment as fifty percent to win, fifty oh, yeah. percent to show. I mean, I don't I'm know. What, I don't know what Diego's getting seventy-five and seventy-five. No. Like, are you going to tell him like he just got illegally hit? He doesn't want to go back in. He's being killed. He's not no, going. No. If he if he goes back in, sure. fights for another two minutes. He's losing half of his paycheck. I get it.
1: You know what? I get it. You know what? He's giving it up so that the fans at home, because they were mad, the fans at home could say, you know what? Diego didn't take the easy way out. Diego Sanchez. He
0: he took the easy way
1: out. Of course he did. But it's so that if he didn't take it, he saves face. So that the people at home could say, wow, he didn't take the easy way out. Diego Sanchez is a warrior. If you watch MMA... You don't already, by this point, think that Diego Sanchez is war. You're fucking out of your mind, yeah. man.
0: I wasn't mad that at Diego because... He's
1: donated a lot of plasma
0: to the octagon. Every brain cell If he gone. took the
1: easy way out one time, which will likely be his last career win, especially in this organization, he, he could muster something up somewhere else. Uh, just give it to him, whatever. But going back to Pereira, it's like, anytime you bet him, FYI, I'm going to bet him. <laughs> You have to know what you're getting yourself yeah, into. It's risky, Viz. 100%. So let's get why we're getting ourselves into Zalima Madaya, Fool Me Once, <laughs> Max Griffin. Shame on me! Fool me twice, shame on me again. Danny Roberts, it's like my God. See, Zalima Medayev is the more of the product of hype. Comes to the UFC, he's six and zero, boxing style, six foot, uh, rangy for the weight class, but not thick for the weight class, not strong for the it's weight class. Got like class. the beard. I know, but he's from Moscow. Have the Keep that in wrestling. mind. Yeah, exactly. And everybody in his camp, because he comes to New York, he's working with Mark Henry, he's working with the best guys. And they all call him Zabit 2.0. Now, I don't know a whole lot about him, but I know everything about Zabit. Followed his career all the way through Russia to the UFC. If they're calling him that, and, and, and these Russians, they don't fuck around. If they're calling him that these guys aren't going like... <laughs> they believe it. They believe this guy's a next-level striker. What What is Max Griffin, who's a striker as well, going to do against this next-level guy that's going to piece him up? Griffin takes him down six times. Now, this is extremely problematic because Max Griffin's also, what, six two. Not a wrestler. Doesn't really have the frame for wrestling. Takes him down at will. When he wasn't taking him down and he was striking with him, he was hanging. This guy, not Zabit 2.0. Zabit can wrestle. Zabit can strike. Zabit's dynamic. Zabit... Zabit's good. Yeah, it doesn't have great cardio, but, I mean, is a good... Is a, is a well-accomplished fighter. This guy seemed very one-dimensional, just more of a boxer. But no, like, benefit of the doubt, he's still young, and he's making that transition from being a striker to an MMA fighter, UFC jitters, and whatever. Uh, it was a majority decision, so one guy even had a draw. I don't understand. but we get the Danny Roberts fight. And then the Danny Roberts fight it's like again he, he's a he starts off okay. He looks he looks like he's got some skill. Looks like there's something that 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 can be worked there but then just absolutely got, dynamite caught just banged.
0: And he was honestly in the corner after round 1, he's he's breathing heavy. I agree. I don't uh, if he decides to go to that wrestling game plan I don't think he has three round cardio. Now, that being said, Michelle Pereira, when we got to round three against Diego Sanchez, was also quite gassed.
1: Well, so so there's there's the thing. So now you look back at it's like, okay, Danny Roberts had just like an awful run of luck in the UFC prior to cashing big with the Zalim Imadaya fight. In fact, not really known for his power punching abilities, but he caught him clean. Michelle Pereira, anytime you fight him, you're you're just dealing with TNT, baby. Like he's just he's so explosive. I, the the best underdog hit I've hit still since, I haven't hit a better one since, but Tristan Connolly plus 425 or Michelle Pereira. Like, mm. he's just, he's gonna last that first round. Michelle Pereira doesn't have good cardio. Tristan Connolly will work his way through. he works work his way through, he gets the win. But two things important in that fight is that, one, the flying knee in the first round that misses Connolly's face by about three inches would have KO'd him flat clean. That could easily be a win by decision for Connolly or... A knockout victory for Pereira. Again, you're dealing with just crazy variables when when you have a guy like that. But the other notable thing here is he missed weight in that fight, 172 pounds. Claims it was a bad weight cut. That's what this is going to come down to. So be a little bit aware. Watch the weigh-ins. Pereira's fought in Korea at 220. He used to fight in open weight fights. He's fought at 205. He's fought at 185. And by the way, even though he's not the tallest guy at those weight classes, you don't look at a place. A 170, this guy is gigantic. Now, if he wants to do flips and he wants to do bozo bullshit, fight math. Remember when he fought Danny Roberts? You know, like, wasn't even competitive. Danny Roberts got smoked before he even knew what was happening in that fight. And Zelimia Medayev, meanwhile, struggles with Danny Roberts and gets caught by him. MMA math would suggest prayers, got it? But beyond that, it's just like he seems like he's too strong, too physical. Knocking him out is a task. So Zelima Medayev's best weapon was just catching this guy when he's being a buffoon. He can take a pretty good chin. You're going to have to beat him for three rounds. And as we just mentioned, not really known as a three-round guy. In the Diego Sanchez fight, he paced himself. He fought a smarter game plan, and he thrashed Diego Sanchez. Had he not kneed him in the head, he would have won. Now, if he fights the exact same way he did against Sanchez, he wins this fight easy. But he's already gone on record being like, Dad, that was a bullshit fight. I'm, I'm going back to the theatrics. It's right. like... <laughs> I want.
0: it's Paul wants, I to the want. If I, bet, what fans if I want. bet him, That's I kind of want him to go back to what you were saying. That's
1: earlier. not what my bank wants. Probably yeah, not. he's got all the skills to beat Imadayev. And the, the main thing it's going to come down to is physicality. This guy's strong. He's a very strong, powerful guy. Imadiev is not going to be able to back him up. He'd be the one counterpunching off his back foot. Counterpunching off his back foot, he's going to need that stinging power, which he hasn't shown. So the line's looking pretty good for Pereira because there's the built-in apple pie shit factor already priced in for you, right? Mm -hmm. This guy could absolutely ruin your night. You need to play him sparingly or in certain spots. The 8,200 on DraftKings, if you're playing multiple lineups, don't look me in the eyes and tell me he ain't on one of them. Because, yeah, I mean, he's just the absolute kind of dynamic guy. And mm-hmm. so, first round finish. yeah, you have a case of a guy He'll that seems talented, it. seems talented, has skills, but just is his own worst enemy versus a guy named Imadiyev that was talked up big. And how many prospects have we seen this year talked up big? Don't quite show in the UFC. He hasn't shown in the UFC. I would have to say that prayer. But, again, your last piece is watch the weigh-ins. Prayer misses weight that's different. Because then, you know, if he's doing backflips, I don't know, he's just going to gas it a lot faster. If he makes weight, he looks good, he seems confident. Obviously, the idiot's going to be doing backflips at weigh-ins and stuff because it's just who he is. Uh, If he looks good, then yeah, yeah, I'm liking that line.
0: We got uh, Thiago Moises taking on Jalen Turner. Moises, a minus 195 favorite. Turner, plus 160. Turner's got, like, all of the – intent, or in terms of, like, the physicality, he's got – all of the advantages here seven inch reach advantage um the guy's six foot three just super massive for the weight class Intra- in like crazy how he even makes the weight class he's super super large i think he's outgunned in just about every facet of the game except for striking power though um the question becomes with like any of these like bjj guys is how do they get it to the mat and that is my biggest concern with tl moises i don't really see much of a wrestling game may not take much to take Jalen Turner down but i think if he gets it there he's gonna have a massive advantage um i haven't really made a decision on what to do with this one no bet from me as of this moment but uh what are, what are your thoughts?
1: It's dogger pass. You could take the pass, it wouldn't be a worse play. Uh, there's just too much, too much of a price on Tiago Moises at minus one ninety five. He's got the advantages in that he can wrestle. He can get this fight to the ground. And if he does get this fight to the ground, as long and lanky as Jalen Turner is, as you mentioned, six foot three, he's got the long limbs, he can throw arm bars, he can throw up triangles, Moises is not getting caught from turning off his back, he can just easily take this fight down there and that's his wheelhouse. The problem with Thiago Moises is sometimes he just, he get he's a little bit of a slow starter to actually initiate that game plan. And in such, you can actually beat this guy to the punch and hurt him early. The Michael Johnson fight his last time out, I mean, yeah, we'll remember him from getting that sweet ankle lock win. But outside of that, the first round, Michael he made Michael Johnson look like 2012 Michael Johnson. Michael Johnson was yeah, looking like prime Michael Johnson.
0: I bet Michael Johnson, like <laughs> after round one, minus 125 and thought I was stealing from them. They, uh, it did, took like 10 seconds. and
2: I Did Michael Johnson uh, try to like run the fight or try? They were like, oh, it's, it's not going to be a three round fight. It's not going to be a five round fight. Let's do a four round fight. And after 20 seconds was like, oh, my hamstring, I can't run anymore. <laughs> and then Donovan <laughs> Bailey called him a chicken. Exactly. He was
1: a chicken. Exactly. Great American hero. Uh, just, uh, he, Michael Johnson's been having all types of struggles recently. But, I mean, we do know that he's a talented striker and that he can defeat you in striking until he blows it for himself. He, he's making Tama- Tiago Moises look bad in there. Mm-hmm. He's beaten him to the punch. He's a superior striker. He makes the mistake. Because we always talk about what Johnson can wrestling. Wrestled in junior college. And AIA. I don't even know if he's an All-American. It might have been. Uh, but as far as, like, the UFC goes, like, guys that have wanted to take him down have almost every time I remember when people said succeeded that, like, in taking him like, down.
0: pre- which fight was it? There was, there was, was it th- against Khabib?
1: Yeah, Johnson, yeah. I remember well, people were like,
0: well, he wrestled in college. I'm like, guys, there's levels to this game. I
1: remember they were also like, dude, he wobbled Khabib. And you're like, de-glanced him with a good <laughs> shot. Come on. I remember you were right off the bat. You were like, yeah, people were saying he like stiff-legged him. you're like, no, rewatch it. No. He hit him. It's a fight.
0: Sorry, I should stop. He, it's been so Punch long since Zabiba has fought that I had to, I had to bring him up there. Yeah, so I
1: felt, I felt like he didn't, look great in that fight, and then all of a sudden hits the ground. He gets the ankle lock. He submits Michael Johnson. It's a nice little win for him. Prior to that, in far as the <laughs> UFC goes, he hasn't looked Got all it. that great. He's getting at the highest level. He's getting out grappled by the better grapplers, like a guy like Benil Daryush, and the striking level, he's getting out struck by the better strikers. He's still only 25. He's at American Top Team. This figures to be a good prospect that can continuously get bigger and make him improvements but I also feel the same way about Jalen Turner Jalen Turner is just super green like he just didn't really have the experience level again he's also 25 and you're six foot three it's like it's going to take you a while to figure it out right like a Neil Magney. he starts out and he's like man what do you do with all this length then but by the end it's just like oh man I can do this I can do that you make your gifts work for you right I feel like Jalen Turner is gonna turn the corner at some point. I just don't know fully when. But as far as his UFC career goes, he takes a short notice fight against Vincente Luque. That's a lose lose, and he loses. Kalen Potter, it's a lose lose because even beating him in spectacular him out in the fashion, first round. yeah, and he did in fifty three seconds. But it like it just it just doesn't do anything for you, right? The Matt Fravola fight. That would be a nice little win, but Fravola's got that style. He can grind on you. He's got better pace. He breaks him down. That's the learning experience here is that he got grounded by Frivola. He kind of knows how that is. He lasted against a talented grappler and a far better wrestler than Tiago Moises in the steamroller Frivola. So maybe he's got that going for him. Then in his last fight, obviously, he shows improvements are being made, but it's low-level competition. So I have trouble gauging Jalen Turner. Is this a legit prospect? If he fights mid to upper-mid-level, let's say, echelon guys. Can you hang with them? He looks good against low-level. The guys that he's lost to, Vincente Luque and Favola, n- not a bad resume. The guys he's
0: beat, though, are maybe the bottom of the barrel.
1: Absolutely. And Moises
0: is not the bottom of the barrel. No. This
1: guy's got skills everywhere. He's fought good guys. He's given a good account of himself. He's a former RFA champion. He's fought five rounds a few times. He, there's a lot to like about Chaga Moises. I just don't like that minus 195 price tag. Because I feel like if Turner is able to keep the fight standing, keep it to the outside, he could just chip away at mm-hmm. him. But as much as 160 seems like a nice little dog play, I'd like to go out Turner. It's not quite enough for me. So I feel like this is another pass situation. But for me, I would say more of a dogger pass. That hurts me. I'm a Moises fan. I almost always bet Moises. But I got a, got a bad feeling about this. And the price tag is an indication of, yeah, that feeling's it's off. Something's off.
0: We have Bartosz Fabinski taking on... Andre Muniz, Bartosz Fabinski, minus 150 favorite. Muniz can be had for plus 120. Watched a little bit of Muniz before we came in here. I watched his contender series fight. I mean, I forget the, the name of the guy. Johnson? Johnson? Taylor Johnson. Yeah, Taylor Johnson. Right. I mean, Taylor Johnson takes him down like right off the hop. And I was just like, uh, 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 I'm going to be putting so much money on Bartosz Fabinski. Bartosz has a great chin. Uh, The pace, the wrestling I mean the guy has been a freaking printing press for us on this program We seem to have a pretty good understanding of what he can and what he can't do He does get caught He has two submission losses to his credit I know Muniz, pretty good grappler Um, But you end up on your back against Fabinski most of the time He's just going to ride it out uh, from that guard Just uh, throw a couple shots here and there Just so he doesn't get stood back up Next round starts back up. We go back and back and back. He sticks to the game plan. That's what I like from a guy. I know that he's a 170-pounder. This is 185 pounds. Height, reach, everything's pretty close between the two of them. I think Fabinski's giving up a little bit of size. That doesn't concern me all that much because, I mean, it's a wrestling game. Being a wrestler, getting lower, having the lower center of gravity is pretty beneficial. Could he get caught in a submission against Muñiz? Yes. Prezeris did catch him in a guillotine. That guy's just got, like, superhuman strength. You get your neck caught in there, he's going to rip your head off, basically. Fact. Um, Tell me why I shouldn't be... uh, I already threw some cash. I'm not going to lie. I already threw some Listen, cash at Bartos. Bartos is our guy. He's and our you guy. got to
1: feel, you got the feeling that it ain't going to get no better than minus 150. Yeah. So the time now is to get on let's it. Get,
0: look, let's get out. I'm going to get gu- more The in guy
1: there. has been very profitable for us. And above all else, a lot of people say, wow, this guy's boring. But it's like winning money is
0: never, never boring
1: and could never be perceived as boring. And Bartos does not do anything. ...to put himself in harm's way. He takes the safe path every time. Walk in, take you down, hold you down. Doesn't care about passing guard. Doesn't care about getting on top of you in in a more advantageous position. Just cares about holding you down, securing you down there, pounding away. If they were to stand it up, he'd just take you back down. He cannot strike. He's extremely stiff and rigid. And he, unlike a lot of fighters knows that man and he does not bother to strike he might strike long enough to throw two punches to close the distance and take you down that is an extremely grueling game plan that's the kind of thing that most guys are not able to do but Bartos doesn't seem to fatigue he never seems to fatigue and now he's 34 years old and he was coming off a two-year-long layoff against Darren Stewart now here's here's the key to here Paul right Mm -hmm. two-year-long layoff that's bad for anybody absolutely 32 to 34, geez, I always talk about, hey, those are crucial years. How could Bartos come back even better? And some bitch moves up a weight class to 185 pounds. Weighs in at 181 mm-hmm. and is an underdog to Darren Stewart. And, hey, we did a show with Pat, right? Bartos gonna Bartos. When you have the strength of a 205-pound man, you can fight at 185 because you're still the strongest guy in the fight. And that's Bartos's thing. Was he abnormally strong at 170, sure. But now that he's a little bit older, he's probably having trouble cutting the weight. And because he's a guy that just goes, 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 I want his body in good shape. So let him fight at 185. As long as he's not fighting these giant monster guys, and and I don't think that Andre Muniz fits that profile, I think that he's able to just do what he does, and that's get on top of you and grind you out. Now I 100% hear what you're saying. Bartos does have two of his three losses uh, coming by way of submission. Muniz looks like an opportunistic grappler. Mm. He's got a lot of wins by submission. But the, the things to notice here is that uh, with Bartosz Fabinski, the, the the fight against um Prezer- uh, Michelle Prezeris? Michelle
0: Prezeris, yeah. Yeah, the
1: fight with Prezeris. He gets rocked. He gets hit with an overhand, and as he's thinking about that overhand, the guillotine's just slapped on right away. Is he knocked out? No. Does he tap? And right away, he's just like, oh, shit. The guy has a good chin, but he had to get rocked in order to give up that quick guillotine. So I don't think Muniz rocks him. I don't think Muniz... Is just gets that quick position where he's able to throw on the submission. I think Bartos just goes in there and does what he does. Now, every time we bet Bartos, we bet him by decision because he just doesn't really try to finish the fight. He just grinds you, grinds you, grinds you, and that's his path to victory. So Bartos won 50, and you would take him by decision. It seems like a price just too good to be true. And maybe that's him moving up weight class, who knows, all these different things. But He's been so good to me over the past that it's just like, I get it. You can tape study this guy and say he's limited. You could tape study this guy and say he's very one-dimensional, but he makes that one-dimension work. And the UFC's got two options. They can either give him a top contender that'll beat him and then get him out of the UFC, cut him. He does nothing for you. All he does is just lay and pray these guys. They want to get rid of him. Or I don't want to really risk Bartos fighting a top guy because he might just do the exact same thing to them and make the guy look foolish. So they just give him these middling fights, and he shines in middling fights so I got Bartos Fabinski minus 150 I got well, I mean that's our DK price line but I got Bartos Fabinski to win the fight and I got Bartos Fabinski by decision and for that matter I don't got fight go to decision because if Bartos does lose it's by the submission mm-hmm. so if you're w- if it was a hedge situation I don't know that you just take it to go to decision but I got him winning specifically by decision Bartos uh, is, is my boy so hopefully he doesn't let us down here but he's I, been good so. I
0: just unloaded while you were breaking that down I just unloaded more on Bartos <laughs> well, well, well hopefully
1: he does for hey. us what he always does
0: from what I saw from Muniz, especially in that Johnson fight the Dana Wood contender series, this is a guy who is openly letting his opponent take him down. He's fighting Bartos Fabinski. That's all Bartos wants to do. So he's going to hang out in your guard.
1: The other thing with Muniz is that he had won that contender series fight, but I remember then he got matched up with Antonio Arroyo. Now mm-hmm. Arroyo was another contender series guy, won a contender series Brazil comes over and when I ma- when I uh, when I tape studied that one, Arroyo had like significant striking advantage. Muniz couldn't strike for nothing. He was very rigid as well, but he just had this grappling. And in the fight, I mean, like Arroyo just did nothing. Muniz had the fight exactly where he wanted when he wanted. Looked better than I thought he would. Arroyo looked worse than I thought he would. But against against Bartos it's like it's very hard to look good because he doesn't give you that room.
0: He's relentless, he won't tire.
1: Yeah, and now you can you can make the argument of like well he's moved up the weight class but it's like he's just so strong. He weighed at 181 against Stewart. He's four he's 5 pounds and under the, the limit. And he dominated that oh, fight
0: pillar to post. Dominated. That was the beginning of Covid. That was right. At the that cage warriors card. That was it. a
1: good. That got us some COVID money to get started. So that was a, that was the beginning of the hot streak. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, beginning of the hot streak started with Bartosz Wabinski. I'm I'm rolling him and hope that the hot streak is not uh, going anywhere. Go Bartosz.
0: We got uh, Vivian Arujo taking on Montana Delarosa. Viviani can be had for minus one seventy seven. Montana De La Rosa plus plus one forty. What's your take here?
1: So this is an interesting fight, being that Viviana Arroyo, she's got the striking advantage. Montella Rosa has the grappling advantage. Montella Rosa gets this fight to the ground, and she's got better pace in her. Like, Viviana Arroyo's, her cardio is just not great. She tends to tire, the lighter fight goes. Maybe that's from the output, maybe that's from the power she throws into her strikes. But she's more of like a good first round, starts to tire in the second round needs to hopefully have two rounds in the bank at this point because she's not going to win that third. Montella DeRosa, kind of the opposite. She's got good cardio. She can push it. But her best game is her top control. She's mm-hmm. get on top of you, threaten with submissions, with some ground and pound. That's her best game. Even though she did wrestle collegiately, it's just not enough. It and as far as look, the UFC looks, yeah, yeah like I, I don't know what. It I doesn't call it. look very
0: effective the wrestling that I've seen. From her.
1: And that that's going to be her main problem is that uh, obviously she's hus- her husband's uh, Mark De La Rosa, right? BJJ black belt also fights in the UFC, and that's her game. She, she's got the she's got the uh, the BJJ apparently enough wrestling to get the fight at the ground. But the her wins in the UFC: Christina Marks, Rachel Ostovich. Nadia Kossum surprisingly still has a job, but just pulled out of whoa, a fight recently. Potential so whoa. I know, I know. Lost to Andrea Lee, who still is contracted with, but lost that fight, so it's still in the UFC. And Andrea Lee is not looking good. And in that fight, she just couldn't get the fight to the ground,
0: right? Mm-hmm. Can't get
1: the fight to the ground, can't strike with Lee. That kind of becomes a problem. Her and then, striking
0: uh, is very limited, and it's, yeah. It's, it's
1: it's very limited, so she has to rely on her top game. That's her That's her go-to, submission attack with her top game. But you got to get the fight to the ground. So now with Vivi Pereira, it's like, well... Can she wrestle? It's like, I'll tell you something. Maybe she can. Maybe she can't. But she's five foot four, and she's stuffed all eight takedown attempts that she's faced in the UFC. Because you and I used to talk about it all the time. She's so short. She's short. She's powerful. She's strong. She's hard to get down. So at best case, De La Rosa is going to struggle to take her down until Vivian tires. Once Vivian tires, then maybe she does get her to the ground. Maybe she can win that third round. But up until that point, I got, I got Pereira. Mm-hmm. And Pereira's just got the better striking. She's got more output. She's Perugio. got... Sorry, Arujo. Sorry, yeah, my bad. Arujo's just got the cleaner striking, more output. I think she's a little more physical. Keep the fight standing rounds one and two, outstriker, and then it's going to be last that third round. Wait, if you look again, when we just talked about the the four wins that um, that De La Rosa has in the UFC, she's she's four and one in the UFC. Geez, that doesn't seem too bad. The four wins, just just very low level. The one loss. To somebody okay. Viviana Royo, meanwhile, she's been matched up with some high-end fighters. Titolita Bernardo, with well, that is not a high-end yeah. fight. She's up two weight classes. She moves up two weight classes for that fight. Alexis Davis, former contender, former strike force veteran, someone who's savvy, looks good against her. And then with Jessica I, Ai, Jessica I's got good cardio. Jessica I's got decent striking.
0: She in. may get a lot of hate, but she's a title. She's I mean a, it's not much of a division, but so title challenge. She's a title
1: challenger. She's a perennial top contender. Has hung former out
0: former Bellator champion.
1: Former Invicta champion. Hung out at uh, she was at 135 pounds in the UFC and gave a good account of herself down there. Drops down to 125 to get that title fight. Like she's always been right there. A loss to her is not that big of a deal. Vivian doesn't look bad in the early goings, but now you got someone with that world-class experience who can strike with you. De La Rosa can't strike with you. Has the cardio to keep this fight standing and beat you up over over 15 minutes, which is like she could easily go up two here and then fade. So I would have Pereira again. I don't like love betting these WMMA spots. Armbar from guard live here. (laughs) I I think they're both listed as black belts, as though again I find that hard shouldn't happen. No, it shouldn't happen, but it does all the time. So Mm -hmm. (laughs) completely possible that it happens. And uh and yeah, I I would say Arroyo is the pick. I would like to say Arroyo by decision as well.
0: All right, we got uh, Alexander Romanov making his promotional debut against Marcos Rogério de Lima, minus 112 for both of these fellas. I watched uh some Alexander Romanov. Now, <laughs> this guy does not look like an Adonis. He's he's fat. Oh, man, he's, he's thick. sloppy. He's got good cardio. I know. The guy just keeps coming forward. I don't know, like, in terms of the level of competition that he's been facing, I don't know if he's taken a really good hit. And I expect Marcos Rogério de Lima to at least crack him a couple times early on. If he can get out of the first, like, three minutes against Marcos Rogério de Lima, he's going to get on top of him. He's going to pound him, wear him down. I kind of... For a big, sloppy, middle-of-the-rung kind of heavyweight, like I think you can do a lot worse than this Romanov guy. Um, Rogerio de Lima, I mean, this guy was a, a light heavyweight. That's where he probably had physical advantages over top. Now he just kind of looks bloated. He's 257 pounds, but like he just basically was just like, ah, 205, now nah, I'll just put on 50 pounds. Um, he didn't really put, seemingly put on any sort of strength. Um, Go, th- pull up his record here. No, oh, yeah. Look at the wins that Marcos Rogério de Lima has had in his career.
1: Yeah, it- yeah. Well, you start off with Richardson Moreira, Igor Pekraat, Clint Hester, Jeremy Kimball. Oof, I don't even want to talk about that. What? Adam Wiesorek and Ben Sasoli should 100% get the <laughs> he will
0: he will but in, probably in the
1: current he, climate of the UFC he'll He be, doesn't have a win he over anybody could who's potentially still, be booked on this card you yeah, know
0: in the current climate of the heavyweight division in the UFC in covid times of course Ben Sassoli still has a job but <laughs> literally everybody that this yeah. guy has ever beaten inside the UFC doesn't belong at this level um, I don't know if Alexander Romanov is some sort of guy who's going to have the staying power, but from what I've seen, looking through a couple of his fights, I wanted, as soon as I saw him like walking in the first time, I was like, Oh God, maybe Marcos Rogero DeLima has a, has a chance here. But I think this guys he seems to be getting better every single fight. The grappling looks pretty good. And once he gets on top, if he gets on top of DeLima wears him down the way I've seen him wear down his other opponents, like, Dolima's going to have nothing in round two. It's just he's got to survive the first two and a half minutes. So maybe it's a better live opportunity. Make sure that uh, Alexander doesn't get absolutely clipped, finished early on, then you didn't lose anything by making an early investment. But if we can get through the first two and a half, three minutes, I think I think Romanov uh, absolutely cruises here from what I've seen on tape. What about you?
1: I don't even know if it goes through three minutes, but I got Romanov for sure. Romanov looks fun, man. Absolutely. We'll talk about Rogerio de Lima and why you should always look at fading his ass. But, yeah, let's just talk about Romanov because at least he got the look of a kind of a fun, got to call him a prospect, uh, at least a fun addition to the UFC's heavyweight division. He's already 29. From the background I got on the guy, uh, he was a decent Moldovan amateur wrestler. I mean, wrestled in the amateurs, pretty good apparently, strong guy, big guy, you know, agile, you know, good, good cardio. Okay, not bad. Jeez, who pays in amateur wrestling? So he gets into sumo wrestling, right? I think he attained the rank of rikishi. And uh, oh boy, he's big. Those years of his life. He don't look in great physical shape, but that is the life of a sumo wrestler. Mm -hmm. And so he sumo wrestles till about 2016. Now he's 25 years old. Out of that. Probably found to, a
0: girl. Let's get a little bit trimmer. Let's t- tighten things up. Yeah,
1: tightens up. The fact tightens that he can it be- it up two, to
0: 265.
1: Yeah, yeah. Cuts to 265, by yeah. the way. He's always tipping the scales. And then just comes to MMA and it's just like, oh boy. Like, he looks all right. First of all, as far as just like his wrestling pedigree goes, okay, well, he wrestled as an amateur. He knows how to wrestle. He's competent. Sumo wrestling, not exactly the most- Sound base for MMA I would say but there's at least stuff that you can take away of that it's all balance It's all balance and how many big boys has this guy mixed it up with how many times has he had to move the larger man How many times have you got a big guy wearing on you it's tiring right Rogerio de Lima wearing on him ain't gonna be shit him wearing on Rogerio de Lima is gonna be everything Okay, well, Cody, the guy can—he's a sumo wrestler. Maybe he can huh, 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 get him to the ground somehow and use some ground and pound. But he's going to get melted by Rogério de Lima's massive overhand right, which has got some real deal power. Even though he's not really a heavyweight, this guy— He's got some real deal power in that right-hand Romanov. Romanov could definitely get clipped by this and get knocked out. Romanov's strike, not that bad. Southpaw, opportunistic, likes
0: to just move and throw. He likes throwing like weird kicks and stuff too because I think he's so confident in his grappling ability that he's just like if I fall to my back, like these guys aren't going to follow me to the ground.
1: Right. And so when he debuts it's just like, man, what's this guy doing? He's being cans and it's the typical Forty seconds, fifty seconds, forty three seconds, first round, forty eight seconds, three oh one. It's like, oh dude, as soon as he gets extended a little bit, he's done. So I wanted to see specifically, what's this guy look like later? Get the Sultan Murtzaliev right? I
0: watched that fight, And he gets
1: taken down by him. He gets taken down, and right away, it's just like, oh, how the hell is this guy going to get off his back? It's like, no problem. He just switches up to a hip and powers his way back up. He's strong, he has technique. But it's just like, he just wears on the guy. And in the first round, he's using his striking a lot more. Two and three, he realizes, I'll just take him down and pound him. And you just know those thudding, short shots Mm -hmm. just smash this guy into oblivion. So does he have any notable on his record? Well, Alexander Stolyakov, 20-5 20-5 record. Not that impressive. Smokes him out of there. Virgil Zwicker. Virgil Zwicker, the res dog, is no joke. Big heavyweight, strike force veteran. Guy comes to play, man. Guy comes to throw, man. He blew through him. But again, it's all first-round finishes. First-round finishes. That, seeing him go to the third, seeing him do that, I like it. And then he follows that up by slamming Sergio Freitas on his face with a slam. KO. And then takes a year off. So, I would assume that the way his career trajectory was it was going up baby this guy was looking good Yeah, every fight i watched because
0: i watched like his last three fights every fight i watched i was like this guy looks like he's making big time improvements every now if
1: you're time. the ufc this guy's fun man he's got a fun little record he's undefeated 10-0 right he's beaten some okay guys uh maybe we can i don't know pander him to the eastern european market i don't know what the plan is but you could sell this guy anywhere because he's a former 265 pound sumo wrestler it's marketable okay What's the problem with him? Well, if he gets extended, even though we've seen him go to the third round, if he gets extended, he might be fucked. It's like, let's give him someone who can't physically extend him past the first round. And we either know if he's legit or not. If he gets diced in the first round, this guy's not a top prospect. This guy's not all that good. If he gets out of the first round, he's not going to just get tired and have some cardio machine style on him. Not that there's any real cardio machines at heavyweight. He, his Not Gastang, until you get into
0: the top five. His
1: Gastang looks to be better than a lot of the guys you've already seen, but he hasn't yeah. been fighting the same level. No. So this is this should be his coming out party. So as far as Romanov goes, I like a Romanov. Now, as far as Marcos Rogério de Lima goes, it goes right back to you, said This is a guy that's fought at 205 and didn't seem, he, he was strong, he was physical, but he wasn't shredded up, he wasn't ripped. He always kind of seemed like maybe he could lose a little bit of weight. When he came up to heavyweight, it wasn't just, he had fought a heavyweight before, 235. That's a small heavyweight. Him moving up to heavyweight, He'd be a small heavyweight again. Only this time, he's 255. In fact, he comes in against Adam Mazorik as his heavyweight debut. He's 253. Next time out against Stefan Struve, 255. And against Ben Sassoli, 257. Getting a little bit bigger every time. He's 35 years old. He's fought, been fighting a long time. And again, another strike force veteran fought Mike Kyle back in the day. Remember that fight. He was the favorite, and he lost. Because he was coming off of the win over Paulo Filo, which at the time was a crazy fucking feat. Not so much in hindsight. But what I'm saying is that Rogerio de had his best day. Now he doesn't can't cut the weight, doesn't really want to cut the weight. He's there to just throw hams for three minutes. It works against Ben Sassoli. It works against some of those other guys we talked about which who are... But but Romanov, maybe he's not ready for this. Maybe he's not as a UFC fighter. But it's like I think he's got enough to win this fight, and then hopefully give us a good indication of what he can do. But I got Romanov, and this is another fight that's priced pretty fucking good, minus one twelve, which you know, I don't. Even, I won't yeah. get into, but because uh, it's on both sides. But yeah, no, I, I think if you're going to call it an even money fight, then I want the side of Romanov, and uh, they're not going to give his dog money, so this is as good as we're going to get.
0: Hunter Azure takes on Cole Smith, minus two ten Asia. Plus one sixty five Smith. Any thoughts here?
1: Yeah, I mean Hunter Asia, the tale of two fighters. If he goes in there and uses his wrestling, I can't see why this guy can't win. If he goes in and tries to just throw everything with the kitchen sink like he did against Brian I mean, Keller, gas he's going Yeah, yeah. I, I honestly didn't think he had a suspect gas tank because he goes either. out there and wrestling is tiring, and he just chain wrestles with the best of them. Man, now when I say the best of them. Contender series, he beats Craig Okum, but the wrestling looks good. Now he takes Brad Katona. I like Brad Katona. Brad Katona is a, is a good litmus test. He's got skills everywhere, but his one deficiency is his takedown defense. And he just, that that's the move. Play right into it. Now the Brian Kelleher fight, literally, everybody's saying the same thing. He li- tends to leave his neck out a little bit on that blast double. And Kelleher got a nasty little guillotine choke. So maybe that's why he opts not to shoot. But he he, his striking looks on point. It's sharp. It's accurate. He stings Kelleher a couple times, and then three minutes in, uh oh. I think when you wrestle your whole life, when you spend all that time wrestling, striking's it's new muscle, right? It's new. That's why you Mm. see these guys. Dude, he wrestled in college. He won the national title. He wrestled sixteen guys. Like they've got it's a grinding schedule, and yet they throw punches for a few rounds and they tire out. It's just a different muscle that. Kind of maybe you can issue. give
0: them a bit of a pass with it being that was kind being of earlier around. on in covid maybe your training routine <laughs> is not up to snuff i imagine more of these guys are getting a little bit more back to normal maybe not all gyms are open a lot of gyms are probably still closed but I'm I, I imagine the training situation is a lot more a lot more closer to normal than it was what three months ago when they fought
1: yeah, yeah. well, it could be. could be, definitely. It's closer to the situation. Um, I think there was a lot of talks when COVID first happened. Everyone's taking it super seriously. You can't go to the gym. Now you just go to Instagram, and it's like, uh, it looks like things are, are pre-COVID times. So, I, I don't know. I mean, know. they're MMA fighters. Yeah, it could be. Another thing with Hunter Azur, Azur, sorry, is that he has looked good so far. The fight with Kelleher, it's at 145. They're both Bantamweights. They both take the fight at 145. A lot of times you think moving up a weight class gives you more cardio. In his case, it just didn't. I I don't know for whatever the reason. But Kelleher hits him and melts him bad. He's he's out. And that's fights four months ago. Does the guy got a great chin? I, I don't know. But at least what he's got going here against Cole Smith is like... Cole Smith hasn't really shown any degree of striking power. You know, he's a good grappler as well. He's uh, a decent wrestler. You know, his, his best game would obviously try to get that top control and establish that. But so far, as far as his UFC run goes, the Mitch Gagnon fight, it's, it's close. It's going back and forth. The problem is that Mitch hadn't fought in a few years and doesn't have a great gas tank. And Cole Smith's always in shape. Cole Smith just it comes down to the third round, and Cole Smith beats him in the third round. Good little win. The Miles Johns fight, he showed against glimpses, took his back, His grappling. As I mentioned, he's got good grappling. He can try to win the fight that way, but ends up on the wrong side of a split decision, a close split decision. This fight with Azar seems like, hey, man, it's, it's easier than Miles Jones, but Miles Jones is a superior wrestler, superior athlete, a little faster, a little bit crisper. Azar's got those advantages too. I don't like 210 because he just shit in the apple pies last time he fight, fought. I liked him a lot against Kelleher, and he got caught. It is what it is. Against Cole Smith, could happen again. 210, not the greatest price tag, but... That's because it got steamed up. It opened a lot better than this. People are wise to Hunter Azer should be the favorite. Bet on Azer already, and as a result, 210. I don't disagree with it. I would take Azer, and I would take Azer by decision, especially by decision because one, Cole Smith very durable, but also with Azer, because he blew his load so quick with those punching combinations early in the first fight. I think this time he tries to pace himself a little bit, use that wrestling, hold him down, secure position. Don't put yourself into a submission. And pick up a decision. So I got Azir. I got the fight going the distance. I got Azir by decision.
0: And finally, we were just talking about Brian Boom Keller takes on Kevin Natividad. Is that how I pronounce it? Navidad,
1: feliz Navidad. Do That's do not do Navidad. Do, 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 do. feliz Navidad. That's isn't that how it's spelled? No. Pat, give me a fact check on that. If not, I'm going to
2: feel real f- bad for it's Kevin. It's I, th- I think you're talking about like fucking Peter Nedved over here.
1: Well, I thought his name was Kevin Christmas, translated, but apparently it's not. So, is that what Felice Navidad is? Merry yes, Christmas? Yes,
0: that is Merry Christmas.
1: So, Felice would be Merry, and Navidad would be Christmas.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Or maybe it's not Ivy's dad. Or maybe I'm wrong. Either way, who you got here? Uh, Yeah, I got to go with Brian Kelleher. I mean, it, listen, whenever you get a short-notice replacement, unless it's this guy that's been waiting in the wings for his opportunity and he's going to look good, something to look at, then great. But Brian Kelleher, in all rights and reason, is getting ready for Ricky Simon. And that's just like one hell of a task, man. I mean, Ricky Simon is just very, very strong, very, very physical. He's got the wrestling advantage. And yeah, could Kelleher catch him? Sure, could Kelleher slap on that guillotine choke? yeah I guess sure maybe he can beat but Simon is a tough 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 opponent now you got Kevin Navidad coming in making his UC debut It's just again he hasn't really fought to this level his wins as far as the regional scene goes he's beaten Irwin Rivera who now fights in the UFC that was a majority decision and outside of that it's been a lot of mid-level guys he just fought recently for LFA looked all right looks like he's got some sting to him Brian Kelleher has fought a lot of risky fights, you know. He strikes in the pocket. This is a guy that stood right in the pocket with John Lineker. Why? I don't know. But he did. And he likes to scramble, and he likes to go for it. And he's a bantamweight, but he just he's campaigning as a featherweight now because he won his last fight. In a fight he was getting absolutely dominated in the first round, and he catches Azar in the second. Now now he wants to stay at 45. He's going to get beat by a lesser talent, an unknown talent. This could be that lesser unknown talent. Keller fights very risky. He's the kind of guy I like at fifty five, one sixty five, maybe minus one seventy five. But once you get into that that category of minus two hundred, he becomes super risky. So the benefit is benefit is he's the first fight on the card. Worst case scenario, he loses. You could rebuild from that point, but I, I just don't like the price tag. And as far as parlaying him to make it more of a an incentive to get some better lines, get some more juice on there, it's like I think Kevin Navidad is easy to write off because. Literally, two, I, I, always, I always judge it like this. Two fights ago, okay? This is a year ago. You're winning a split decision over Andy Perez. Andy Perez, seven and seven. Andy Perez is currently seven and 11. Lost three fights after that. Not a top level fighter. Not a very good fight. You see Navidad's just green. He's got to figure it out. He's not a top level guy. Keller has fought top level guys. Keller has submitted top guys. Keller's coming over a win. Over Hunter Azer, who's now him, respectively a two to one favorite over tough guy and Cole Smith. Mm-hmm. Cole Smith would beat Kevin Navidad's ass, and Azer is a two to one favorite over him. Brian Kelleher just picked up this nice big win. He's fought tough guys. His experience will shine by a mile. He should absolutely go in there and smoke Navidad. But it's like I'm not gonna say questionable ring IQ, but it's like he puts himself in bad spots. Yeah, it's and a there, result there over I
0: analysis. Won. If you watch the Kelleher fight, well, I mean, he was he was losing up until the point that he won.
1: Yeah, but other fights in his career, it's like, you don't expect him to show up, and it's it's huge, man. The uh, UFC debut against the Erie Alcantara, right? He cashes as a plus 300 underdog. It's like, man, goddamn, very next fight, he loses as a minus 220 favorite. Like, talk about UFC debut, cashes a huge underdog, sophomore outing, loses a moderate size underdog, or a favorite, sorry. It's just like it's the tale of two guys. Beat and Barrow. Who expected that one? They give him the Lineker fight. It's like fought a bad game plan. The Montel Jackson. Oh, we talked about experience. We talked about all of these. Montel Jackson is very green. but Montel Jackson smokes him. Mm-hmm. Submits him with a darts. Minute 40 into the round. Odie Osborne, just a contender series guy. Shouldn't have been in the UFC. Hunter Azer, contender series guy. Maybe shouldn't be in the UFC. I guess we'll see what Cole Smith has to say about that. Uh, Cody Staman, legit, gets his ass beat he's got to take advantage over contenders for you guys that aren't quite there.
0: And, that's and if got. Navidad
1: wasn't taking a short-notice fight right now, he'd be fighting on the contender series. So Kelleher should win this fight. 220 seems a little bit much, but it seems reasonable, I, I suppose.
0: All right, let's get into the DraftKings breakdown for the program. Pat.
2: Yeah, any, I mean, got any you, questions. Yeah, you guys kind of made it pretty straightforward. I, I guess my only question is your boy Soda Popinski at 8600 bucks. You got he said like buy decision, but he's going to have what like a bunch of takedowns? Like he's going to score alright?
0: Yeah, he usually scores quite well. Let me actually just pull up the DraftKings app on my phone here.
2: Yeah, like he, it, they'll
1: score up a decent amount of like ground and pound. Yeah, and stuff, I mean, his, even though he doesn't really do much ground and pound and his takedowns, that's his, that's his key.
0: So he's got four UFC fights. Gareth McClellan, 121 points. He had 10 takedowns. Uh, Hector Urbina, I mean, these are bottom of the barrel sure, guys. For sure, for sure, for sure. But six, he's, but six he's fighting take, a guy that's not exactly a world, six takedowns, beater. nine advances. Emil Weber Meek. Six takedowns, eight advances. So he moves to, like, side control. He'll throw a little bit. You regain. He yeah, moves to yeah, side yeah. control. Slaps you a little bit. He just kind of maintains he keeping
1: it but he, but he scored 120 in his debut. 99.5. Let's just call it 100. Ameek 101.5. So 100 points wins, in all three of his outings. And then and then he loses. The fight he loses, he got caught. He got submitted real fast. Didn't score nothing. And then you don't have a price in the Darren Stewart fight. Because it happened in Cage We'd Warriors. But he would have smoked a- his ass And that was supposed and, to take mean, place
0: on that UFC where we were picking Bartos yeah. to do it, and then it ended up being the main event of the Cage Warriors card.
1: Right. So, I mean, you look at him at 85, I'm sorry, 8600, and you think, geez, this is the kind of guy that's just got a ton of upside because he can get those takedowns over Muniz. Muniz is going to be there to fight back, but Bartos kind of does what Bartos does, and 86 is not the craziest price tag. Overeem, super risky. Again, Sakai is very durable. 8800 just seems too much for my liking. Men St. Peru, we don't have a price as of the recording of the show, so don't hate on us if you don't have anything right there. Carol Rosa, 8500 geez this is another one like Fabinski. She might be flying a little bit High on the volume. radar. <laughs> yeah, man. Good upside. Good upside. Kind of a higher mid-race plane player, but you can, you can save money based on not spending too much. Um, Michelle Pereira, 8,200. Like he's got to have. He's going to have to be some lineups. We're trying to take down GPPs. So if we can have Rosa score big, flying under the radar. Someone like Bartos can score big, flying under the mm-hmm. radar. Michelle Pereira can score big.
0: He's cheap. Slap my boy Romanov right into there as well. Romanov right in there. We can there. go anywhere. Romanov from there. right in
1: there. And now someone like Jalen Turner would sneaky because he, he's only 7,200. If he pulls it off, great. But you've got so much money on the table. Anyway, yeah, you
2: can go a lot of directions you can with kind that kind of, of base. You're right. But you you want to leave a bunch of money on the table this week. If there's only going to be like yeah. nine, ten. Fights like he's got it.
1: There's only going to be so many dupes, and I and I and I, yeah, and there's going to be a lot of people that are thinking, I'm thinking the exact same way you are now. People can interchange and say, I don't think they take Eubanks because even if Eubanks wins, low score, so she's not worth playing. Imadiah, yeah, man, he's fighting a guy that could just knock himself out, like, yeah, oh, he's live for for 8,000 in the first round, right? Right, that counts as a TKO,
0: doesn't it? 100, percent right? 90 points, even if he didn't throw a strike, 90 (laughs) points.
1: It's just, if the guy does a backflip and his ACL blows right up. that's a TKO. So mm-hmm. I'm just saying, at 8,000, he's actually got some upside too. And with Muniz at 7,600, even though I am so pro Bartos, Bartos wins. Let's talk to pogier up. I need a Bartos Fabinski shirt, 100%. But yeah, yeah, if Muniz is going to win he's going to pay nice for 7,600 because he'll just catch him early with that submission. So some of those are some of your dog plays. Romanov, DeLima, you want exposure to that. Romanov wins, going to score big. I can see him getting a second-round TKO, tire him out, pound mm-hmm. with some ground and pound. Rogero, DeLima, if he wins...
0: First-round knock okay. out.
1: He's going to just knock him out smooth with the right hand. Uh, Hunter Azer, so many takedowns. Nice way to score points. Now, in his debut... He doesn't throw any of them. So, if you're just looking at DraftKings, you don't see that this guy's got those takedowns in his back pocket. If he goes that yes, he 90, go to that I'm concerned that he may not go to that 9100, And 9,100 puts him um, the most expensive guy in the entire card. He's 210. He's listed as the second biggest favorite on the entire card behind Brian Keller. I, I don't know that's super warranted. But because we've got money on the table, and because he shit in a lot of pies last time, and because he didn't show that wrestling. I could see him being really low ownership. And he could score okay. Mm-hmm. I think I'd rather have him than Kelleher, even though Keller has got a lot of high upside here too. Keller seems a little more risque. Keller,
0: so to, to my knowledge, doesn't have a DraftKings pricing as of the time of this recording. And same with like Menafield St. Prue, I think they're gonna probably slot in around 8379. I mean, Menafield has first round knockout ability, OSP has first round uh, submission ability. This could also—it's one of those fights. It's like it could very well end in that first round, but if these guys get out of the first round, it could be—it could be a real snail's pace, really low scoring.
1: Yeah. So we'll leave you with that. Also, it's only ten fights, so there's a good chance that like William Knight from last night ends up on the card. Like they—they might totally just throw somebody on. Plus the cards in Vegas, so a couple people are going to get
0: COVID nineteen. We'll probably get pulled off of the card. 60% For 60% sure. of this card won't even happen on Saturday. Sounds about right. Yeah, and you Let's have a, you to have we
1: have a sumo wrestler from Moldova cutting down to 265. Can like, we
0: go back? <laughs> no. Yeah. It's we
1: gonna, were talking about last a, week. If it could be a fun, greasy fight. Well, I like the fights that I do like have good lines. The biggest favorite's 210. What? <laughs> last week, everybody was minus 300. Yeah. Everybody was 265. Everybody, they were all big favorites. Now you have no big favorites, but there, there seems like there's some okay spots.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Pokey Rob Perlet. Hit him with the PRP.
1: Gonna go with Alistair Overeem. Gonna go with Alonzo at Manifield, And those are probably my two most less trustworthy ones. But then after that, uh, we're going with Carol Rosa, Michelle Pereira, Jalen Turner, Hunter Dog. Bartosz Fabinski, Vivian Arroyo, Alexander Romanoff, Hunter Azur, and Brian Kelleher. So two official dog picks on the, pl- on the card are gonna be uh, Jalen Turner and. Oh, I thought I had another one. No, maybe I just got one underdog in the card. Well, someone's going to shit my pie, and I th- hope it's the guys at the bottom. You know, you construed parlays. The ones you're not really sure about, you put them on
0: the bottom. You load back up, right? You're,
2: who, you're who, are the, key... who are the two faves that I can put together with this horse that we talked about on the horse racing show? Oh, true. My two favorite.
1: My two favorite, Carol Rosa, and I'm going to say Michelle Pereira.
0: Wow! I know, I know Michelle Pereira. I want to say Your Bartos. confidence, you know, your you know, number this one is, confidence.
1: This, this is what's going to screw me: is that I I like a lot Kael Rosa, Michelle Pereira, Bartos Fabinski, and Alexander Romanov. Yeah, same here. But the bookie's not a dumbass. Sometimes you can make him look bad, but in the long run, this guy's not a fucking idiot. They're priced low. Mm-hmm. If I hit those four in a four-fight parlay, it is going to pay. But there's a reason why it's low. Because on one hand, geez, Eubanks is a BJJ world champion that could throw something off. Geez, Michelle Pereira is an absolute fool. Could just get himself disqualified or hurt himself or get knocked out. Why would you want to bet him? Bartos, man, Bartos is a one-trick pony. Really good at that one-trick, though. Romanov, a 265-pound Moldovan sumo wrestler fighting in the UFC for the first time. You are out of your mind. But yes, sir, in fact, I am out of my mind. Those are my plays, and that's what I'm going with. And so uh, I am looking forward to Saturday.
0: 100%. All right, thank you, Cody Sapp, for bringing down the fights with me as always. Thank you to Pat, producer Pat Mayo, behind the sticks, for all the fine work and keeping us in line. For Pat and Cody, I'm Paul saying goodbye and good luck. Pat Mayo Experience! Experience!